Hi, um, slightly sick editing Amber Autumn here. Just wanted to come out in front uh, once again to let you know that um, a few weeks ago you may have heard us tease an episode uh, with guest Becca. Uh, this is not that episode. That episode hasn't aired yet because of logistical reasons. Um, currently, uh, the files from Becca are being physically mailed to me um, via a USB drive. So um, it's in route, it's in the pipeline. It just hasn't come out yet. I'm letting you know because it comes up a couple of times during the episode. Um, and I didn't want it to seem confusing when it came up. Uh, so that's what's happening there. Time travel. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Happy New Year! So Nina, if you were going to rob a bank with one member of the cast of Avatar The Last Airbender, who would you choose and why? Oh my gosh, that is such a good question. <laughs> My first no, instinct. No, it's not. But thank you. My first instinct is to go Toph because Toph is so excited to break the rules, and also she's a badass, and she would do a really good job handling if we got caught. But also, maybe I want to go the more subtle route. Who's the more subtle route? I don't know. Something tells me that Suki would be good to rob a bank with. It would be hard to convince her of the why. Like you'd need a good reason. But I feel like she'd have your back. If you can, if, if she's in, she's all in. Exactly. Exactly. She's committed. Great. So um, next time that you. Next time I rob, rob a, bank, a bank, I will the... make sure to have <laughs> one of the two of them there. We'll know who did it. Um, this or is, maybe you won't this because maybe we'll be in and out so subtly that you'll never have found oh, out. If that's, it's tough, that's you, definitely not happening. On air? Um, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> This is going to be a good episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our original podcast, Do Not Steal, the weekly show um, in which every week um, my co-host Prince Devin and I um, take your favorite and our least favorite intellectual properties, franchises, uh, TV shows, movies, comics, video games, hopes, dreams, ideas, concepts, um, and we make an original character in that franchise as a way of talking about the franchise and what makes it interesting. Only, um, uh, the eagle-eared among you may be aware that Devin, uh, continues not to be present. He is still between recording spaces, and so we are in the middle of our season two Devin retrieval arc, in which every week instead of Devin, um, I get someone else on, and so far in the Devin retrieval arc, it has been all um, old familiar guests to the show. Um, but today, as a special treat, we have a, a brand new, never before seen guest um, here to talk to us about Avatar The Last Airbender. Um, Nina, do you, wanna, do you wanna introduce yourself to the crowd? What's your name, Nina? Thank you so much. Um, no one here <laughs> knows my name because you have not said it up until this point. Um, my name is Nina Jayashankar and Clearly, you all were so convinced that I was Devin because I'm a professional actor, so I know that I was very convincing in that cold open. But yes, I am an actor in New York. I work primarily in musical theater, and I know- You are probably the most famous person that we've gotten on the show. That's so sweet, and I'm so not famous, so I don't even know that I can say that that's true. Doesn't that say something about the podcast, though? Um, you guys are going niche. It's not about it's true, yeah. It's not about the follower count of the guest. It's about the content that the guest can bring in. It's really true. Um, but I had had the privilege of going to college with Amber Autumn, and mm -hmm. I know her because we lived on the same floor, freshman and sophomore year of college, and we just 
our friend group really bonded really fast. And Amber Autumn and I went on so many walks together over our college years, mm -hmm. had the really deep talks. And as you all already know, she's really fun to talk about media with. So I'm so excited to be here. Nina and I um, would occasionally talk about getting uh, platonic married, um, but now she's getting like romantic married. Uh, which I, is unforgivable, and I, and I am not going to forgive her for listen, it, but I, I will have her on the pod. <laughs> listen, I'm not saying that the platonic marriage is off the table. <laughs> we have excellent plans for our Hawaiian shirt Indian wedding. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to go into the background of that, of that joke. Just leave, leave him wanting more. <laughs> you, you, are, you are a performer. You're a professional. So something that we like when we have new guests on the show um, is that we like to ask them for one thing that they think is overrated and one thing that they think is underrated as a little um, breaking the ice, getting to know you question. So, um, Nina, what is one thing that you think is overrated and one thing that you think is underrated? Oh, my gosh. I'm I'm very nervous to give my hot takes about this. Um, it doesn't actually have to be Avatar related if you don't want it to be. Um, it's not Avatar related, but I do think it will tie into this episode well. Okay. Um, the thing that I'm going to say is overrated is the movie Oppenheimer, which okay. I think is a very controversial take because every cis straight white man I've had this conversation with has gotten very upset at me when I've said that. Sure. Um, but I, while I do know the contents of the movie did not actually go see Oppenheimer, which maybe makes this take more controversial. But I kind of feel like we as a society are a little too obsessed with like watching these white villains in our media. Like you kind of see it with Ted Bundy, you see it with Oppenheimer. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, it was not the story that I think is like the most compelling to be told. Um, and in particular, there, the use of the Bhagavad Gita, the Hindu text in in the film was like done in such a way that I don't find super respectful and authentic and kind of points at this question of how South Asian people are represented and how we're often like these either like sexualized and or utilized for like our spirituality in ways that are just kind of done without depth, without nuance and like without a fuller understanding of us as people. Like I kind of have a big big issue with like the way like in particular the use of the Bhagavad Gita and the sex scene in that movie um so I know like people were obsessed with it people like really hyped up that movie but I kind of felt like it was overrated yeah I mean yeah I like I like I loved Oppenheimer but I under like there's a lot to be said about I don't know like like our, our last episode right before this was about this animated movie about uh, a woman like growing up in Hiroshima in like the like 1930s through 1945 um, and like about the like experiences of like living in wartime Japan and I don't know like having that episode and like spending a lot of time talking about the movie immediately after like Oppenheimer has this big moment it is like okay like like the story of the bomb as like a huge earth-shattering event like you know it uh, you can tell it through the perspective of Oppenheimer and that like is a story that has been told a lot of times and I I it, it doesn't as often um in the United States get told from like any other angle from the angle of like the people who had to live through it and like it is like a real historical 
event. And so I, I heard a lot of people talking in the, in the build up to Oppenheimer about um, the ways in which maybe we're a little bit too comfortable um, uh, making stories about like that kind of fucked up tragedy from the perspective of like the, the Americans who made it happen. Um, yeah. It's, it reads a little too trauma porn for me. Mm-hmm. That's kind of just simply where I, where I land on it. Totally reasonable. For my thing that I think is underrated, I appropriately, hopefully, am going to reference media for young audiences. I was thinking about the movie Turning Red. Um, mm-hmm. I do think that that was a well-received movie, but I honestly remember talking to so many folks about it and so many people telling me that they hadn't seen it or that they thought it was super cringy. Um, in particular because of the way that it kind of focuses on these middle school age girls. But I kind of feel like that's the point. Like middle school girls are cringy (laughs) and that's part of their, that's part of their growing up and becoming adults. And it's, I think, pretty charming to see that represented. I also, not to like pit two movies with leads of color up against each other, but I heard a lot of discourse around how Encanto was like this beautiful representation of generational trauma and I think that that's true for a lot of people and it I'd say it's partially true for me but like for me watching turning red I was like this speaks to what my experience of generational trauma looks like so having that like other angle that felt in many ways like really realistic and really modern was something that I really loved and valued and I think that that it's so cool that young people get to have that now because I don't remember ever getting to have that when I was growing up. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, so today we are here to talk about Avatar The Last Airbender. Um, you showed me Avatar The Last Airbender in college. This is a show that I have only seen because of you already. Um, and I mean, like my experience with the show is pretty limited to watching it the one time in college and enjoying it, but definitely not enjoying it on like the level that you bring to that show. I think you you love Avatar The Last Airbender in a way that I have seen few people love any TV show ever. Um, so I I, th- I think I want to just start with you. I would love to hear from you. Um, what, what does the show mean to you? What makes it special to you? Well, I'm so excited to be having this conversation with you specifically because I remember us watching Avatar The Last Airbender together in college. And I remember... You being one of the first people I knew who watched it and didn't like really love it. I remember some specific episodes and specific moments actually kind of calling out to you in a bad way. And that was something that I hadn't experienced before. So I love getting to have contrast in this conversation. I think this will be super fun. Um, We're talking about the, the we're your family now moment. Yes. Is that, that what we're is specifically about right now? What, yeah. specifically what comes to mind, but yeah, it made me it made me think about the show in a different way, and I'm I'm all for discourse. I'm all for having a variety of opinions and voices, as you already know, and as hopefully listeners of this podcast will know shortly. But in terms of my relationship to Avatar: The Last Airbender, I think this is one of the only shows that I watched beginning to end when it aired as it aired like I watched this show from first episode to last episode like as I was growing up and I think that's a huge part of why I love it so much like it was kind of there with me through these various phases of my life and talking about topics that 
I had not had introduced to me yet. Um, so it was really cool to have a TV show that talked about these really complicated topics, you know, like war and the trauma that comes from it and, you know, genocide and very serious things, but doing so in such a lighthearted way that was still honoring the challenges and complexities of those experiences. Like, I really think that it has, like, it's a piece of media that actually shaped some of my philosophies in what I think is a really positive way. And it's a show that even as I come back to it as an adult, like I love to go back to media of my childhood with adult eyes. And a lot of times the media doesn't hold up to what it meant to me in those childhood years. Like a lot of times I'm quick to find a lot of the flaws that I never noticed before. But Avatar The Last Airbender continues to surprise me in the way that it still hits all of my emotions even as an adult, even as someone who's seen the show repeatedly. So it has remained very special to me because of its ability to do that, because of its variety of characters. I was always really attached to Katara because it was she was one of the first examples I got in TV of seeing this brown girl becoming a woman, being this strong and nurturing and kind and smart figure who was really instrumental to the show and the things that happened in the show. And I was so drawn to seeing a leading woman who was powerful, but was also willing to show her feelings and was made stronger for her willingness to be vulnerable and show her feelings. That's something that I feel like I'm always wrestling with as an adult, kind of this, this need to prove to people that strength doesn't mean closing yourself off. Like, I think she was one of the first examples I got of that and a big reason that I fell in love with the show. So that's a long-winded reason, but that's a little bit about what the show means to me. No, that's a, um, I think that's a, that's a totally reasonable reason. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you, you, you mentioned the moments calling out to, to me in a, in a bad way. And I, I, I think that my opinion of the, of the show has, has raised substantially over time since I, since I originally saw it. I think that, um, like, like, as you say, the, its ability to, to deal with, uh, like, some very intense subjects with, um, uh, not just levity, but a lot of, a lot of nuance and a lot of grace. And I think a lot about the show as, um, as being about balance yeah, um, absolutely. I, I don't know if that that fits your read of the show, but like I think that like every element of the show comes back to um, the importance of 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 balance in like every like every part of one's life. It's like one of those instances in which the theme is so broad that it really does justify an entire television show's worth of exploration of that one idea. Because like balance in one's interpersonal relationships, balance in one's ethics, balance in um, one's time, balance in in like every part of of one's life like all of it gets covered in like different ways across the course of the show. And like in in some ways you wouldn't expect, right? There's like every other thing that comes out of Iroh's mouth is like something like delightful and unexpected and and genuinely wise and not just in like a kid's show way, but like in a in a real yeah, true for sure. way, right? For sure. I really do feel like the show doesn't talk down to children, which is something that I really, really look for in media for young people, especially as someone who 
works in media and also like often works in the theater for young audiences space, like making sure we're talking to young people like they are actually smart and capable because they are. Um, but yeah, I, I think your, your read feels really truthful to me. Like they're, all these characters have different ethics and different points of view. And I don't think the show is like preaching that there's one, one way that is right, which is why I think so many people have found ways to love it because everyone sees themselves in different characters. Um, for the, for the sake of any, any listeners at home who just enjoy the sound of our dulcet voices and haven't, haven't seen the show or haven't seen the show recently. Um, do you want to give us a, a recap of, of what the show is and what it's about? Yeah. For sure. This is a lot. So let me start at the beginning. <laughs> you don't have to do an entire plot summary, but the gen- um, uh, whatever amount of it is interesting to you. Sure, sure. Um, the general plot line of Avatar The Last Airbender is that there are four nations, each of which has a predominant element. So there is a water nation, a fire nation, an earth nation, and an air nation. And the story begins in the middle of a war where... Essentially, the Fire Nation is attempting to kind of colonize and take over these other nations and has recently wiped out the Air Nation from existence. And then we focus in on a sibling duo in the Water Nation who are kind of struggling with the the loss that they're experiencing because of war, everything that they're dealing with as an outcome of the happenings in the world, and trying to hold on to hope that this avatar figure who is the one person who has like mastered the elements of all of these nations. Each of these nations has a predominant bending form where they're able to bend the element of their nation. Um, They're hoping that the next, the next avatar is going to come around soon. And the next avatar was meant to be from the air nation And because they were wiped out, hope was kind of lost here. At the beginning of the show, Katara and Sokka, these two siblings, find Aang, who is the Avatar and who is the last air nomad. And it's about his journey to eventually stopping the war and bringing peace to the world and how the three of them and their eventual gang that they build up how they do so and the adventures that they get into along the way. So this is, um, and I... I do want to zoom in on the like the the four different nations element of it because this is it's such a it's such a fun like personality quiz kind of an element. I think the nations thing is really interesting because it's it's so fun to like sort yourself into like are you an airbender? Are you more of a firebender? Are you more of a waterbender? Right, um, they have such bender. personalities to them. Right, and they're it's it's so fun to like ascribe yourself a personality, but so much of the show is about the ways in which you need some amount of all of those things, both for like a, a society to work and also you need to have be able to balance all of those elements within yourself. Right. Like um, that's Aang's biggest personal journey is how does he yeah. take these components of each of these elements, in particular fire, which he is taught to villainize. How does he take the parts of those that are also good and useful? So it's always it's always funny to me to because it's like in some way thematically the show is kind of encouraging you away from like picking one element and saying this is me um but it also is so much fun to do yeah, it yeah everyone does <laughs> everyone does it it's interesting um, I, 
Spencer, uh, my partner for the listeners out there, um, often I think tags himself as a non-bender. And I think that he is an extremely balanced individual. And I wonder if those two things are related. Hmm. Do you see yourself as any in particular? And also, do you see me as any? In I don't I don't remember what all of them mean. What do they signify personality wise? Yeah. So for those who don't already know, um, I guess how I would generally describe each of the elements is air is associated with lightness, with levity, with fun, with like a playfulness and a silliness and some willingness to go with the flow. Um Earth, on the other hand, is very, can be very stubborn, but very grounded and very strong. Um, kind of, you know, the qualities that you'd associate with the elements themselves. Water is meant to be very adaptable to change, um, very willing to take things as they come and appreciate flow and growth. And then fire, of course, can be very hot headed, very animated and expressive, um, Maybe quick to anger, but quick to that anger fizzling out as well. Those are those would be my general descriptions. I think, like, I mean, I always saw myself in Katara. And I think the thing about her that made her not a typical water personality is that she is also kind of hot-headed. Like, she still has these big emotions and big feelings that are maybe more associated with fire. But I... I would say I definitely like lean into the water element of it. It feels very aligned like with my upbringing, with my culture and this sense of adapting to the environment you're in, kind of having a more relatively like peaceful mentality um, that definitely feels like where I align. I immediately thinking about you, like I think about air. I think because okay. you're someone who in my life, like, I associate with a lot of like joy and lightness and fun. Um, that's what comes to me. Thank you. That's very sweet. I um. So we're like, I'm 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 getting out of you that uh, like we seem interested in like water focused characters specifically, but also we're sort of interested in characters that maybe transcend the 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 boundaries of what you would expect out of a water character. Yeah, I think that would be super interesting. My one kind of <laughs> failing with Avatar The Last Airbender is, you know, the South Asian representation component of it because this show really like digs into so much Asian representation and there's really like one predominant South Asian character and he is... He kind of falls into this trope of like being sort of like a spiritual guide in a way that I feel like Indian people are often placed. And he's also the only character who like doesn't speak in his natural accent. Like he's the only one with notably accented speech and sometimes is like a caricature and representation for me. So there's a part of me that's like thinking about also getting a chance to like remake the South Asian character that I wanted in the show. I think that that is um, uh, just about the perfect place that I could possibly imagine to start with a with with the character creation process. I wanna I wanna think like logistically um, the like the characters who exist in the world and like the the geopolitics, the kind of people that we tend to run into in this story. There's a lot of um, 
you know, we have warlords and bandits and we have like shopkeepers and like the people you would experience on like a, you know, it's a high fantasy adventure. It's, it's people running around and doing high fantasy adventure stuff. You have, um, uh, politicians and, 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 uh, guys who are on the street selling cabbage who the DM makes <laughs> up as a joke and then end up being like a running gag for the entire thing because you've all latched the onto the joke and it's characters. funny. Everybody, the most important character in the canon is Cabbage Guy. Truly, give Cabbage Man his dues. Um, so I, I wonder if there's a place to start. If there's like a kind of character who we could see in this world, um, but we but we don't see, and in particular, if there's a, a kind of a space that you would want to imagine a South Asian character taking up that would feel meaningful to you that would feel like it would like what's a what's a character that we could create who could fill a role that would make eight-year-old nina feel really really seen or or really inspired well so i really love what you posed earlier about like it doesn't necessarily need to be water nation but like someone of one element also having these aspects of another element um, so what comes to mind is like when you're talking about the different types of roles and jobs that these people have, I immediately kind of latched on to like someone who is a merchant or is kind of working in the day-to-day -day society. So Earth Kingdom kind of springs to mind for me, but I would love to play with a character from the Earth Nation who maybe is not like so stubborn, is not so like does not have so much of a tough front as some of these characters do. Because I think they're really known to be like a proud people. And not to say that this character shouldn't also be prideful as well, but sometimes to a so fault. So then what are, what are the other defining characteristics of Earth that that the character should have? If it's, if it's not about pride, what is it about? The thing that comes to mind to me is like being grounded. I think I am intrigued by a character who knows who they are, knows what they want and what they believe in and really stands up for something. Like that still feels very aligned to earth. It's tough because the thing that you've just described, I'm hearing all of that and I'm going, oh, this sounds like a character who is there to dispense wisdom for the main characters. And that's not necessarily the thing we're going for here. Um, <laughs> it might be fun to play with someone who's like, you know, not so featured to like the main story or the main characters. Cause I think that's the thing with Avatar is everyone, as much as it's like fun to be in like the main group, there are so many, so many people in this world and they have so many fun characteristics about them that it might be interesting to play with someone who's experiencing the war kind of in their own lane. Okay. In that case, let me pitch you, um, you've pitched a merchant character here, um, and if we have our merchant mm -hmm. character and their primary characteristic is that they uh, have a, they're very grounded and they have a real sense of what they believe in and they um, uh, act on those beliefs, then it seems like if they're in the middle of a war, then perhaps you have like a merchant character who is doing some humanitarian aid for people. Like you have a, a, a city where there are a bunch of refugees who have been displaced by um, like like war fallout like bossing like I, say <laughs> but like not evil like you or like 
people who have been displaced from bossing say maybe but you have like a sure, a character sure. who who like maybe secretly takes in or publicly takes in i don't know in some way um uses their mercantile position to to like take in the the like people who have been displaced by war or like i don't know do something else that is there to like help people something that is like going out of their way to like sort of making their them their the protagonist of their own little story on the side i yeah i really love that i the other thing that that makes me think about is like bossing say kind of has its whole like brainwash kind of conspiracy thing going on and it makes me wonder what it would be like to have someone kind of acting as like they're intercepting that in some way. So we think our character is in bossing say and is somehow like aware of the brainwashing and is resisting it. Perhaps like maybe they're taking in some of the people who have been brainwashed that they're able to like sneak away. Does our character live in bossing say or do they are they based outside of bossing say and they're going into bossing say? What do you think would make more sense? The fact that our we we kind of want it to be a character who our our heroes never encounter makes me feel like our character is stationed outside of Bossing Say and regularly makes like merchant like air quote merchant ship trips into the city, but it's like a front for like getting people. That out. makes a lot of sense. Yeah, they're like delivering goods and in reality sneaking people away. So I've 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 shared with you this this list of prompts from um, episode one of the series. And this feels like a wonderful moment to me to see if any of these call out to us. And I think there's a lot in here that makes a lot of sense for this character. Um, But to see if Mm. if there's any that make more sense than the others that that inspire you towards anything. Well, it's definitely going to be a velociraptor. (laughs) Definitely makes the most sense. Devin's on the record that he's saving the Velociraptor for the the Gem and the Holograms episode, but I don't know if it's actually going to make it that far. It's such a juicy prompt. I mean, it's hard to resist. It's hard to resist trying to find a way to like work a Velociraptor into the world. Here's the thing is, I don't even think Velociraptor would be that crazy in the Avatar world. I think you could find a reason for a character to have a Velociraptor in that setting. It's just that all the animals are hybrid. That's true. Actually, no, there's the bear. And the bear is in Bossing Say. So maybe Bossing Say is the place with like the weird creatures. Anyway, we're not taking the Velociraptor. <laughs> I won't do that to Devin. So that's a great question. I feel like the mask and the coil of rope come up as good, like basic options. Like they seem potentially useful in sort of this heist. That we envision this character going through. Ooh, I hadn't thought of it as a heist, but I, I kind of like the idea that it's a heist thing that's going on. Like, how are we getting into Lake Laogai, you know? Like, maybe we need some rope. So I, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, it's been like seven years, maybe more than that, since I watched the Vossing Say arc. I don't remember what sure. Lake Laogai is. Do you want to explain it's to me like the, the logistics of this lake- ha- mind control scheme? Yes, it's like the secret lake where like they say that they're sending Judy on vacation, but in reality it's like this underground like tunnel system where they're brainwashing people and like brainwashing them to believe that there's no war and they're like operating for the Dai Li. So I assume that this is where our character would be like smuggling people, in theory smuggling the Judys. Uh, t- tell me about how 
the brainwashing process like is it you you get brainwashed and then you are brainwashed forever is it you have to do they have to re-up the brainwashing every once in a while is there a cure to the being brainwashed condition well so yeah it's not super clear but so there was one point in which jet becomes brainwashed to believe that there's no war because he's causing a commotion in the city and Katara and Aang and the whole group kind of remind Jet of his other experiences and fighting for his freedom and the things that have led him to develop his belief system. And that's kind of the push that he needs to break out of the brainwashing. So there's an indication that the brainwashing can definitely be broken. It also seems like there are moments where like if the Judies are like pushed too far into believing or talking about the war they get like resent to lake laogai so i don't know that the brainwashing wears off specifically but it seems like you can be prodded out of it with the right like with the right language and the right memories okay yeah so in that case i think getting people to leave and then kind of like living with them until they come back to themselves um makes a lot of sense as a plan of attack as a as a heist um, I'm really, uh, like, personally, of the two, between a mask and a coil of rope, I'm really drawn towards a mask for this. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm wondering... <laughs> I am wondering how the mask gets involved in this in this heist process. Is it... Sure. Is it a disguise? Is it, like, a way of anonymizing yourself in, a, in like, a... I don't know, a, a festival or a ritual of some kind where a lot of people are wearing masks? Is it... Well, it's interesting because there's already a blue spirit. Like Zuko kind of acts as the blue spirit throughout the show where he is wearing a mask and using that to kind of perform heists of his own. So the show has already set this precedent of masks being a way of like disguising yourself so that you can kind of perform your secret agenda So I wonder if it would either be like the creation of another spirit or maybe this person is also pretending to be the blue spirit, kind of using the front of of the blue spirit, because I'm sure that mask is not impossible to come by. Would would news of the blue spirit, would people know about the blue spirit in Bossing Say? I think so. That I sort of love the idea of a character who is capitalizing on the the infamy of the blue spirit to do heists for good. Yeah. Like I wonder if they actually like, I would be interested in them coming across the mask by accident, but kind of in also hearing about the news of the blue spirit using this as an opportunity to say like, Oh, I can have a role in this war and ending things. I love that. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I I think that like trying to, to, to tie it back into like themes of of balance um you get to like use that to talk about like not just like civic like when is it appropriate to like do anti-authoritarian action um and like the the boundaries between laws and morals but also i don't know something about like identity and reputation right this is a character who is like doing a wonderful thing but none of that is going to his own reputation or their own reputation it is all going to the the, the blue spirit um right right and i also think what would be what is so interesting about it is 
this person is resisting the war in a very different way from how most are. Like most are kind of directing their targeted attacks kind of on the Fire Nation. Mm-hmm. Saying like the best way to resist is to take down the Fire Nation, which is not false, but that this person is saying, okay, what's also really important is that everybody knows and acknowledges that the war is happening so that people can take action and the government can't hide it from us. And that's not productive to us ending it. I love this. Do we want to give our character a name, a look, a general, like a personality vibe? We have some sense of a personality vibe, right? They're they're very... Mm -hmm resolute i think we can we can say but without being stubborn Mm -hmm. i'm definitely attached to someone who is not young like someone who i think you wouldn't look at and assume that they're you know fighting for freedom you would just think that they are just a simple shopkeeper so my thought is someone who is maybe a little bit older not necessarily like a senior citizen but maybe someone who's more middle-aged. I would, I'm thinking about someone who doesn't have like a super athletic build, like someone who just doesn't look like they would be smuggling people out. I really, all of this said, I I love it. And it kind of makes me want to go, what if it's like a relatively new mom? Um, Oh, I love that. uh, Like she has like a, like a kid who is not involved in any of this at all. And like, obviously she's very stressed about having the kid on top of all of the rest of it. But like, this is a thing that she has to do. And like, it's a... And it's also her kind of securing a better future for her child. Yeah. I, yeah, I love that. We can understand that like being a mom, like it's, like it's informing the things that she's doing and you understand that it like, it casts the whole thing in a different light. But it also is like, like it also is just who she is. Like she was, she was gonna do this with, with a kid or without the kid. But the kid does make mm-hmm. it more important. We do care about it more now. Yeah, and I think it raises an interesting conflict for her and for the audience watching. Of is it right for you to essentially put your family at more risk by doing this? Ooh, yeah. But what if it's? But if you still believe that it's the right thing to do and it's the thing that can bring about more peace. I think that has like a, a lot of really interesting back and forth to explore. Do we think she's a single mom or do we think she has a, has a family, like a, like a partner to help her out with it? And if she does have a partner, does the partner know? I'm drawn to either she's a single mom or if she's not, her partner either doesn't know or doesn't necessarily approve. Oh, okay. What do you think? I was... It's funny because when I, when I first posed the question, my brain was just like, oh, um, if she had a partner, of course the partner would know about it because I think I just tend to default to like happy relationships in fiction because they're so rare. So I'm, when I'm making them up, I just... So yeah, that's, that but, would, that's lovely, but, of course. But like, I think that there is something with a lot of texture to like having a partner who doesn't really approve of it. And she's doing it anyway because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. I guess also thinking about, since I'm drawn to this idea of the South Asian character, like thinking about my mom and the other mothers in my family, most of them have had arranged marriages or, and not that they're partnerships. I think it's still important or might be interesting to portray 
an arranged marriage with an overall positive partnership, but you didn't have the privilege of having all of these conversations to make sure all of your opinions and values were exactly aligned. So how do you have this shared partnership when you don't think the exact same way? I love that. And then it's not like, it's not like an antagonism. The, the, the partner is not the bad guy of the story. It's just that. No, I think the partner has their own valid concerns. Yeah. I think, I think like, I think the partner knows about it and probably doesn't approve and is probably sort of turning a blind eye a little unhappily to the fact that it's going mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. But they kind of recognize that they need their partnership to still sustain and especially sustain through the war. So they kind of work with their differing approaches. I love this. I think this is a really interesting, compelling character. Um, I, I think we got to give them both names. What are some uh, bossing so say type names? names. <laughs> I'm so bad at names. I mean, is it just like, is it, like South Asian name. I don't remember what the naming convention is. Well, so I think technically speaking, the Earth Nation is supposed to be modeled like more after China. Okay. Um, but obviously these people, like that's not their background. I'm kind of inclined to give them like simple names. I kind of want them to be people where if you looked at them, you just like wouldn't think twice and you'd be like, these are just simple people. I don't know. Like I think about like Rohan because there are a million Rohans. Rohan? And it's like a... Yeah. Okay. For I'm her? I'm trying to think about like what her what her name would be. Like what the... I'm also... I get, like I also think about like Maya as a really common common name that I see with South Asian women. And I do feel like those are both kind of like simple names. You wouldn't think twice if you saw them. And it kind of aligns with this exterior that we see both of them portraying. I think it's possible that we've used a Maya before on show. I don't remember immediately, and I'm not going to look it up because um, there's a lot of episodes. But I, I think between given the choice between the two, um, that's going to tie break towards Rohan for me. Oh, Rohan is what I was thinking about for like the partner. Oh, never mind then. Great, Raya and Rohan. <laughs> but we could also give her a different name. How do you feel about Sana? Sana? Is that with a with a U with an E? Like S A N A. Oh. I feel great about it. We've we've certainly never used that name. Nice. So we did it, folks. Sana and Rohan. I love it. I love these two characters. It's funny because I went to high school with the Sana and Rohan, <laughs> and I'm not positive that they dated, but I suspect. I really support stealing names from people who you used to know. I think that it's you know as long as you don't use the full first and last. I think it's funny every time. I think it always works. Also, truthfully, it's unlikely that they'll find themselves listening to this podcast, so I wouldn't have exposed myself here. <laughs> um, do we feel... I feel like I feel like Sana is, is a pretty complete woman. I feel like I understand more or less what her deal is, and I would like to see fan art of her. Do you... Is there anything major that you feel like we're missing? I... No, I, I feel like I have a really good sense of who she is, and I would be very excited to see her in this world. Yeah, right? I also love that she feels like... To me, she feels culturally truthful, but she also doesn't feel like like a trope. Which 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 is important. Is there, are there any bits that we need to add on to her to, I don't know, make her more South Asian in some way, make her feel more like representation TM, or is it fine the way it is? I think for me, the most authentic representation is like what happens in like the little details. Right. 
Like when you plan a person who is on the big picture, just a person. And it's like the little things about them where you start seeing like the shades of their color and their culture, like kind of coming out. And so we as people who are just like coming up with the concept of a character, but not animating the episode in which she appears, get to just say, and they execute it well, and they include all those little yes. touches. Yes, every Perfect. single little touch was perfectly um, executed. They just do it perfectly. That's like the, that's part of the, yes, the core no of the podcast. Yes, there are no mistakes whatsoever. Okay, well, I think that that is going to take us to the, the season two segment right towards the end, which is the sh- segment that we call, I Ship It. Dude, what the f***? In Yaoi art, the seme, or top, is usually dominating the UK, or bottom. It was fun! Their relationship is cute, damn it! I ship that! Um, we love, I, I'm so intrigued by who she would be shipped with, and I hope it's not her partner. It's, like, pretty clear that, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, like, Rohan is there. We've sort of already answered the question. She gets along with Rohan. Um, but, uh, yeah. But they're not, like, in love. There's no way that the that the fan base is shipping her with Rohan. But I don't, are there, like, are there eligible characters within her age range in the franchise? I don't know, because I was like, it would, wouldn't it be hilarious if it was the Cabbage Man, but the Cabbage Man is too old. <laughs> it would be funny if you shipped, it with the ca- shipped her with the Cabbage Man. Except, since, like, the Cabbage Man is very pro-authority because he's really just trying to, like, maintain his cabbages. <laughs> Ugh, that's such an interesting question. It, it, like, makes me think who are, like, the merchant people, like, the regular people just going about their lives in the towns. I wonder, like... I mean, so I, ha- I don't have, like, the most experience in, like, fandom circles. This is really more of Devin's question to answer mostly, I think. But <laughs> my the, the based on the information that I do have, if, if we're in a situation where there aren't a lot of eligible characters for us to ship her with, and she's, like, the protagonist of the story that she's in, I think that there's going to be a lot of my, uh, of Sana X reader fix of this character Ooh, we love it that's what i that's she's, my theory she's so well conceived that everyone just falls in <laughs> love with her themselves everybody loves our character and wants to marry her they all want to date her <laughs> do we have any other observations before we close out i ship it um the other thing is that her baby is so cute that everyone's like i want that baby <laughs> Everybody wants to fall in love with our character and adopt her baby. Yeah. I um uh okay, I think that that takes us to one fun fact apiece about our character. Um immediately after a long pause in which we both sit here for a second thinking about one fun fact apiece about the character and then we edit the pause out. Mhm. Okay. Ooh. I think my fun fact about Senna is that she's double jointed and it's a big assistance for her in performing her heists Ooh, i like that like we 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 didn't really drill into the heists but we you know imagine that they they show a heist and it involves right so she has to be able to do them right <laughs> i think she keeps a, a a tank of what are um clearly caterpillar slash crabs like they're they're caterpillar crab animal hybrids because all of the animals in the the franchise or animal hybrids um but i think that she 
um, always claims that she's trying to get some other animals in there. I think that she um, is like, this is my terrarium where I'm keeping this kind of fish. Um, only I haven't gotten the fish yet. Uh, only it's it's been years, and she is clearly so it's just, just keeping the these caterpillar things as pets. crab. Yeah, they're just here oh, to keep the cage loves, clean. Only she, she really loves does them, love but them. she doesn't want to admit it. Yeah, that feels like such an Indian mom thing to do. <laughs> does it really? To be like, oh, this pet wasted my time, so much effort, but like secretly she's feeding it five meals, and they're all impeccable. <laughs> Amazing. I'm so I'm so thrilled that I have you on for this episode so that you could you could give us little bits of information like this. Exactly. Your character creation was perfectly authentic. <laughs> no notes. Um, I think that, I think that takes us more or less to the end of the episode. Thank you for listening, everybody. This has been Original Podcast. Do not steal. My name has been Amber Autumn, she, her. Um, what has your name been, Nina? My name is Nina Jayashankar, also she, her. Do I have to plug stuff here? You don't have to plug stuff, but if you would like to plug anything, this is, this is the moment to do it. All my handles are at Nina Jayashankar, and if you can spell it, congratulations, you get to follow it. (laughs) That's your reward. Thank you everybody for listening. Um, This has been an episode of Original Podcast Do Not Steal. Um, I already said that. Um, Our theme music is by Kyle Alicia, whose work you can find at hollowrib.bandcamp.com. Join us next week when um, uh, I try to get us to talk about Gem and the Holograms. But instead, um, if Devin is back at that point, we will be talking about uh, the Proto-Men. And if he's not, then maybe I will find somebody else to do an episode. Maybe I'll grab Jaden. Who knows? Anything can happen. I will not be here. So send in your request to bring me back. (laughs) That's right. Send in your request to bring Nina back. Um, please feel free to give us a like, give us a five-star review, drop us a comment, and head by our merch store where we will be selling cabbages. Um, feel free to do all of the above. <laughs> okay. And then scream my cabbages while you do it. And you have to scream my cabbages or else they won't appear in the store. Okay, <laughs> that's it. Uh, bye. Bye.